Amen. Amen. Thank you, praise team. We appreciate that so much. Appreciate being drawn to worship as we come to the Word now. It unfolds the Word as you worship in song, and it's a beautiful thing to see that. You're prepared, your hearts are prepared to receive the Word, and I pray now that God would speak to your hearts in personal ways as if you sense the very Spirit of God speaking to you at this moment in time. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Hey, don't forget about that men's meeting. If you're coming to that, the last chance to sign up for that is this Wednesday, so we'd love to have you come for that, and so keep that in mind. Um, I didn't hear that in the announcement, so I thought I'd mention that. Take your Bibles, if you will, today to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, verse 38 to 44. We're closing out a section where Jesus rebukes the leaders of Israel for their hypocrisy, and he's making a note to contrast that with this widow who comes to give all that she has in the temple. I've entitled the message today, Stop Blowing Your Trumpet. Stop Blowing Your Trumpet. Let's stand together. We'll read God's Word. Mark chapter 12, verse 38 to 44. Follow along as I read now. In his teaching, he was saying, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like respectful greetings in the marketplaces and the chief seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets who devour widows' houses and for appearance sake offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. He sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting the money into the treasury. And many rich people were putting in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow, which put in more than all the, contributor, put in more than all the contributors to the treasury, for they all put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned. All she had to live on. You may be seated. Two reasons I titled this Stop Blowing Your Trumpet. One is I used to play the trumpet as a kid. My parents made us all play an instrument growing up, and I kind of disliked that as a child, but I never became like the yo-yo ma of trumpet playing, though. But uh, matter of fact, my sisters hated it when I played the trumpet because I uh, was terrible. I was terrible. And I played right in my room, and it'd be so loud. They'd say, that's awful. Stop playing. Go down the basement with the dog and play. And so I quit the trumpet early in life because I just didn't practice that much, to be honest with you. Uh, and uh, so that was one thought in the back of my head with this title. The second was where Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, he said, when you give your money... He said, don't sound the trumpet. Don't sound the trumpet. In other words, when you do something good in your life, don't let everybody know. Don't let everybody know what you're doing that's so good. He says, let another man praise you, not yourself. That's the Proverbs. Let another man praise you. Don't ever bring your own praise out. Let another person praise you and bring that out. It's a mistake. He said, don't sound your trumpet. And so those two ideas got me to thinking about what I wanted to say today to you, and I want to kind of share something maybe I've never shared with you back in 2008. I was preaching out in Phoenix at Palm Vista Baptist Church across the, it was on Bell Road, which is a major intersection of Phoenix, and I was preaching special services there for three or four days, and across the street is the world's largest retirement uh, center, uh, retirement community in the world, and uh, it was an amazing place to be. That week, there was three men that asked to meet for lunch with me, and they came from a church up in North Phoenix. I was in Center Phoenix. They were up in North. And they met with me that day or that week for lunch, 
And they said to me at lunch, I'm just going to give you the skinny. They said, we see something in you. They said, we'd like you to come to North Phoenix to this, I won't mention the church, this church, and we'd like you to be the pastor. Now, I'd been in conversations with them before, but this was a very serious lunch, and we were going to skip all of the steps that you go through, and they said, we want you to come and be the pastor. Conversation went on a little more, and then uh, one of them said this, which this is the main thing I remember. He said to me, he said, you deserve this. You deserve this. I've never forgotten that one line because that one line at that moment put me, made me feel very uncomfortable with that lunch. You deserve this. And before I could nod my head and agree with the man, yeah, maybe I do. The Spirit of God spoke to me and said, no, you don't. You don't deserve this. And that made a huge impact on my life because it was like the Spirit of God was talking to me and saying, there's people at your church that have worked just as hard, if not harder than you, to get you where you are today. And I could just, it was so clear to me. Don't glorify your own flesh as if it came out of your flesh. I want to say this to you. I know this may hurt you, may offend you, but it's true, and I've learned it. I don't know how to say it without just saying it. So as I read the Bible, one thing's clear to me. You don't deserve success. You deserve hell. As hard as that is to hear, if you get those backwards, you're going to bring a curse on your life. You're going to bring a curse on your life. If you ever forget that and think too highly of yourself, that you deserve certain things, you have a, uh, what should I call it, a uh, spirit of entitlement. That's the way I was thinking this through. You, you can bring some things on your life that will bring you a lot of trouble. You always, I've learned this as pastor, you always have to resist the temptation to be drunken over the accolades of people. You have to keep yourself where the Spirit of God can use you. You have to, you have to keep yourself there. It's, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy. If you want God to bless you, you've got to learn to keep yourself where God can bless you. Because if you're not careful, you'll get a spirit of entitlement. I, I looked up this definition. I like it. A spirit of entitlement, the belief that one is inherently deserving of privilege and special treatment. I'll tell you this. You have entitled preachers, you'll have entitled congregations. It's a dangerous thing. Entitlement is infectious. It infects a church. Because I've learned you always attract what you are. If you're arrogant, you'll attract arrogant. If you're moody, you'll attract moody.
If you're a gossip, you'll attract gossips. They'll love to look at your Instagram and your Facebook to see what the latest gossip is. Because whatever you feed grows. Whatever you feed grows. And it's something to be aware of as I, as I get into this message today. Whatever you feed grows. And I, I'm concerned about that because I've seen that in my own life. I've seen the struggles in my own life over that. So I want to challenge you with this message today, the three B's to go deeper into your relationship with God. The three B's, try to keep it simple, to go deeper in your relationship with God. Number one, the first thing Jesus wants to tell us in these passage, this passage is be warned, be warned. This is the warning he says to them in verse 38, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like respectful greetings in the marketplaces, the chief seats in the synagogue, the places of honor. You see, you see the emphasis? They love it. They love to walk around in long robes. They love the respectful greetings. They love to be in the chief or the best seats in the synagogue. They love the places of honor. So you, just, you can feel the intensity of the passage as you see Jesus playing this out. He says, beware. Literally, it means watch out. Be on the alert. Be alert for this in other people, but be on the alert for this in yourself. That's who he's really talking to. Be on alert for yourself that you can get caught up in this. The scribes are the uh, theological teachers of the law, and they're the lawyers of the day. And they loved the positions they had. They had enormous power to mislead and to misfeed the sheep to the destruction of the flock. And so Jesus is warning about that. He says they love their long robes. They like them. It's a really a strong word, not love in the sense that we'd say love, but they love their long robes. Now, when, when you see that there, uh, that term there, they like their long robes, it doesn't translate too well in our culture, but it's their prayer shawls. We don't have an English word for that. It's, it's a Jewish concept, so they use the word robes. But they love their long prayer shawls. Okay, let me show you what a prayer shawl looked like in that day so you could see. Now, this is a modern prayer shawl, so it may have not have been that colorful, but that's a prayer shawl. And they would wear it around everywhere they went. But the scribes didn't wear a normal prayer shawl. That's just a normal prayer shawl. They like their long prayer shawls. Let me show you one of the prayer shawls they wore, okay? Okay, get that next picture there. Some kind of Obi-Wan Kenobi Jewish kind of, uh, you know, outfit right there that they're wearing. Uh, they love to do that. Their prayer shawl went all the way to the ground, and their tassels were just a little longer than everybody else. And they wanted everybody to notice that because they love their titles. They love their positions, and uh, they love their, their, their lofty status. By the way, I don't care what circles you run in. Everybody struggles with these things. I, I've been in two circles, preachers and academia, all right? So I have learned that as I've watched this, everybody has these jealousies within their business, in their industries that they have to deal with. And uh, the, this is exactly what's going on here. I think of academia today. There's so much jealousy among professors for titles and positions and uh, the regalia they love to wear. Um, I only got as far as an instructor in a school because I didn't go full-time with it, but you can go from an instructor to an assistant professor to have full professor with tenure. Okay, that's a little bit fancier, tenure, okay? Now, when you start off your education, all you got is a name. That's it, you're Rob Decker. But then when you go to seminary and you get your master's degree, now you're Reverend Decker. 
You're not Decker anymore. You're Reverend Decker, okay? And then when you go and get your doctorate, now you're Dr. Decker. Doesn't that sound good? Dr. Decker, okay? And that's what they got to call me at the school. They got to call me Dr. Decker because I've earned that level of degree. I've never earned tenure, but I've earned that level of degree in teaching, okay? But you haven't made it in academia until they know you by your last name. When they know just your last name, you've made it. Driscoll, Piper, Moeller, MacArthur, and Decker, to name a few, okay? <laughs> Jesus says, watch out for this. Watch out for this, all right? He says, they love their special greetings in the marketplace. What they would do in the marketplace is on certain times of the day, the uh, ones would come and they'd have this guy at the end of the marketplace and he would announce their name because they had the long robes. They were the ones with the titles. And they, this is a shofar. It means trumpet in English. They would blow. I, I tried to blow. I can't blow it. I don't even know how you do it. But anyways, they would blow the shofar at the marketplace and everybody say, who's coming? Who's coming? Got to see him. Got to see her because that person was so elevated in their status, just like we do today. Oh, I got to see him. I got to see him. Oh, I love him. I love him. And, and what they do is they'd announce it with the shofar, the trumpet sound. This was always to announce something big. That's why they used the shofar. And then they would come into the marketplace with their long robe and they'd look at her. Jesus, watch out for that. Watch out for that in yourself. He says they love the titles. They like the long robes. This is Rabbi Edersheen. This is Rabbi Decker. You know, just that kind of stuff. They want the best seats. When they'd go to the synagogue, they only had benches at the front for the scribes, but everybody else had to sit on the floor. They loved to sit on those benches. And so at the banquets, again, they would use the shofar to announce who was coming to the table, who was eating at the finer table, because they love to hear their name announced before they went in. Jesus says, watch out. These people put on a good show. They said, ultimately, they devour widows' houses. He's getting down to the motives and what they do behind the scenes. What you don't see, they devour widow houses. They prey on the most vulnerable in society, the little old ladies of the church, the little old ladies of the synagogue who are easily exploited. The scribes bilk them out of their savings. Money-grabbing preachers, like money-grabbing preachers do today. Christian TV's a big one. You know, the average age for their clientele or for their marketing strategy is a 67-year-old woman. The number one target of their Ponzi schemes you may have been involved in some of this. Hey, if you'll invest 10,000 bucks with us in a year, I'll get you 20. The religious leaders were doing these Ponzi schemes. They weren't as extreme as they are today, but that's what they're like today. Hey, put your money in this Christian organization. Put your money with this Christian, and we'll double your money in a year. And they go after the widows. They go after the most vulnerable. And they bilk them out of their money. Oh, he was such a nice young man. Well, so was Ted Bundy when he was a kid. Okay, so that's what they're doing. The clergy were doing this. They were hypocrites. They had their long prayers, and while they were praying, they're kind of peeking out of the corner of their eye, see if anybody was watching them. That's how they prayed. And they loved that. 
It wasn't for God. It was to be seen of men. Jesus said they'll get their condemnation one day. In other words, there's a greater condemnation for them in hell because in hell there are degrees of punishment and they'll get the higher one because they so fooled and deceive people as hypocrites. So you don't want to be a hypocrite, okay? That's why you want to stay away from that kind of stuff. I know you're tempted. I am tempted. But you've got to stay away from it. And Jesus said, the problem is, for you, is that you could lose your heart serving God, walking with God. You could lose your heart, get discouraged over things, get beat up over some things, and then you know what you do? You just simply focus on the outward expression. What's seen. But your heart's locked away. Your heart's locked away. And Jesus is warning against that because it infects leaders, it infects congregations, and turns us into Pharisees. I don't care if you're traditional service or non-traditional service. Both of them are a trap. Both of them are a trap. Because Jesus is saying, ultimately, anything can be a trap where you're looking for a show. Jesus is opposed to self-exaltation, shallow spiritual leaders. That's what he's trying to expose here, shallow spiritual leaders. Got to thinking about this. My genuine spirituality is not what you see me doing, by the way. It's not what you see me preaching. It's not what you see me praying publicly. It's not what, you, what I teach. What I'm really like, you can only guess at that. You can only guess what I'm really like. But that's my genuine spirituality, what you don't see. That's got to be true of all of us. And he's saying to every one of us, be warned. You don't end up down this path. All right, that's number one. Number two, be generous. Be generous. Now, uh, to understand this, where he watches this widow in the treasury, I, I want to kind of give you an understanding of this and as, she, as this goes down. When you go into the temple, the first thing you come into is the court of the Gentiles. That's as far as the Gentiles can go, to the court. Then the next thing is the court of the women, and that's as far as you can go if you're a woman who is a Jewish lady. And then the court of the men, and then the priests and the temple sacrifices. And that's kind of how they set it up. Well, in the court of the women, they put all of the offering boxes. There was 13 of them. 13 of them when you came in. And they were designated, the first seven were designated as required giving, a temple tax, a tithe, whatever, but they were required to give into those seven boxes as they came to the temple. Now, box 8 to 13, okay, I'm just making this simple here, box 8 to 13 were free will offerings. They were voluntary and what they would do with the original ones, let me show you what the, or this is a replica of the first century. This is what the first seven boxes look like. They would take a silver or bronze and they would shape it like a shofar, like the opening of a trumpet. And in the first seven boxes, you would drop your coins in there so they would kind of circle around and then they would thud at the bottom of the box. And uh, that's kind of what they look like for the first seven. But for the eight to 13... They would cut this off a little more, and then they would put, the shofars are usually a little bigger than this, they would put this into the box because it was a free will offering, and they would have this coated in bronze, 
And then when you came up to the free will offering, it would circle around the shofar and make a lot of noise. Let me just kind of give you, put this up a little louder than it was last time, okay? Run this. Just a little clip of what it would have sounded like. Okay, that would have sounded better on my computer than there. But anyways, that's an idea of what it would have sounded like. There had been a lot of, a lot of noise going around on the free will offerings because they would drop it down here, cha-ching, 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 flop. And you hear all this, almost like a slot machine. Now, here's what's interesting about this. In the first century, uh, many commentators have kind of summarized what this would be like, and they said it was a recognized tourist attraction. People would go to the court of the women, and they would watch people given the free will boxes 8 to 13 because they would see how much they'd given. They'd hear the sound of those coins going down. And people loved to go see what other people would give. And Jesus himself, he went to watch. So they would use these shofars uh, plated with bronze, and then these coins would make all these kind of noises as it would go down into the box. By the way, I thought it'd be cool to put a microphone on our, one of our giving boxes over here to the right last week, and so I put one in there just to hear what one of our members gave. Just play that one if you could real loud. There you go. There you go. That, that member will show him after, will disclose his name after the service here today. <laughs> he gets the Widow Might Award, the Widow Might Award. Okay, but anyways, that's a little off topic. Okay, she comes in verse 42, and she gives two small copper coins. Now, how much are two small copper coins worth? They're worth one-sixty-fourth of a denarius. What's a denarius? A day's wage. So let's say she made 64 bucks a day. One-sixty-fourth would be two bucks. She had two bucks, just like $2 bills today. By the way, the average wage of a retired lady in the United States with her Social Security is 64 bucks a day. That's, that, that's interesting to me because you can kind of see what it would be like for a widowed lady to be having to give at church, okay? And so she gave two bucks, and the Bible says, or Jesus said, she gave her entire life savings, and she gave it all to God, 100%. Jesus said she put more in than everybody else combined. Why? He said, because she gave out of her poverty, they gave out of the extra, the abundance of what they had. She was very generous because of her love for God. Now think for a moment. If you, if you liquidated everything you had right now, you got it all liquidated, put it into cash, could you give that at one shot? I mean, that's, that's a lot for a lot of you. A lot of you, that'd be a lot if you liquidated everything you had and gave it at one shot. That would be the comparison to this widow lady, how difficult that would have been to, be, to do. And so, it was only two bucks, but to her it was everything. What Jesus is saying here is generosity is measured not by the amount, but by the sacrifice. For example, if Jeff Bezos gave... 10 million bucks in the offering, okay? That's pocket change to him. That's literally pocket change to him. Okay? There's not a great sacrifice if he gave that. But if a single mom here with kids 
gave 25 bucks. That hurts. She feels it. Twenty-five bucks is her gas for the week. That's a sacrifice. Because generosity is not measured by the amount, but by the sacrifice. Now, by the way, if Jeff Bezos happens to watch this series today, this sermon, okay, I'd be happy if he'd want to give that. I wouldn't turn that away, but I, 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 just, I just think that when you think about this in the context, the widow's sacrifice was based on her poverty. Everybody else, Jesus said, was giving of their abundance. It didn't cost them as much as it cost her. Jesus looks at things completely different than you and I. I got, I got a letter some time ago. I'm not going to read the letter, but I'll just summarize it. This is a guy who was watching our services online. I don't know him personally. He's 70 years of age. He lost his home three years ago. He lives in a travel trailer. He has medical issues. He got on Social Security. He has a 21-year-old adopted daughter who's in college. This was several years ago. And then um, he has a 23-year-old who graduated. His wife left them five years ago, and he said, I'm the mom and the dad. We've lost contact with her for the last four years. She doesn't want to be a mom or a wife. Here's what he says at the end of his letter. But God is great, and I thank him every day that I can serve him. And inside the letter, he enclosed two $20 bills to the church. I think about this every now and then. His $40, if I understand Jesus correctly, is more generous than the person that could give 4000 bucks this week, but it was out of their abundance. Now, just let that sink in for a minute, Okay. This guy gave out of his need just 40 bucks. Now, I'm a pastor. I, I get this, okay? From my perspective, 4,000 bucks goes a lot further than 40 bucks. I get how that works with budgets, okay? And we can use it in a much more tangible way. That's how, that's how I think. But in terms of God's value of generosity, it's not the amount, it's the sacrifice, I should say this. I ran out of time last time. Maybe I'll just say it real quickly. Some of the most generous people in the Bible are women. I don't know why that is, but it's true. The most generous people in the Bible are women. Mary of Bethany, she took a year of her salary in anointing of oil and anointed Jesus, broke the bottle and anointed a year's salary. When have you ever given a year of your salary to the church? See, it's, it's an amazing thing to think about, the generosity of women, this widow. Uh, it's an incredible thing to me. I've seen this with my own wife. My wife is more generous than me, for sure. For sure. Then I have to find a way to fund her generosity, but that's part of what it is, okay? So uh, I, I just want you to know we all need to grow in this area of generosity. I, I want you to know how important that is. We all need to grow in this area of generosity. You know why? Because generosity unlocks the heart of worship. Some of you will never get that, but some of you will. Generosity unlocks the heart of worship. You know why? Because it dethrones money from your life. It takes money off the throne room of your heart, and it's gone, 
and all you've got left is generosity, and God says, that unlocks the heart of worship. It's beautiful. It's beautiful to think about, but it's so hard to do. I want you to know as your pastor, I expect you to give. And the reason we're even doing as well as we are is because you give. Many of you, many of you give. And I expect it. I expect it because I've taught it. And 10% right off the top, that's the tithe. I, I, I'm convinced that I believe that with all my heart. But you give. And if you want to unlock a heart of worship, you're generous. You're generous. I was reading this week about the crusaders in the 1200s. They had all these crusades with the popes would send them from Rome to go and fight again in Jerusalem and to kill women and children and Muslims and to take back Jerusalem and to take back the promised land so they could set up the kingdom of God on earth. That's what they believed in the 1200s. And so they would go off, they would leave their homes. They had a first crusade, a second crusade, third, they had the children's crusade, the fourth, the fifth. They just, the popes just kept sending them to fight to get back Jerusalem. Then they thought the kingdom of God would come. Before they would go, before the crusaders were just, they were just dads, just workers in the fields. They would train them, and then they would give them a sword, and a shield, and they'd give them their armor. Before they would go, they would ask the Pope to baptize them again. Got baptized another time, but now they want to get baptized again because they're going to war. So they knew that, so they wanted to be baptized again, make sure they go to heaven. And so they would go down to their, just her under inner garment. They had a white inner garment underneath all of their uh, swords and spears and shields and their armor. They'd take it all the way down the inner garment and they would get in the water with the Pope and the only thing they would carry down in the water is their shield, or excuse me, their sword. And this is what they do. They'd, they'd, they'd get baptized by the Pope. And what they would do is as they went down in the water, they'd raise their sword and they'd say, baptize me in the Holy Spirit. And then they'd say, but not my sword. So they'd go down in the water and everything would go under the water except this part of the sword. Baptize me in the Holy Spirit, but not my sword, because I know what I'm going to do with this. I'm going to kill people. I'm going to kill children. So baptize me, but not my sword. And that's what they would do in the 12th century. I got to thinking about that in the 21st century. And I think what some Christians do is they're kind of a little bit like that. Okay? Baptize me in the water, but not my wallet. Not my wallet. Take, take everything I got, but not my wallet. You can have my life, you can have my children, you can have my time, you can have my service, but not my wallet. Isn't that, isn't that amazing that, that, that someone would say, I'd rather have no reward in heaven and I'd like to have a full wallet now. No reward in heaven, but full wallet now. I was reading this this morning, and just the Spirit of God spoke to me as I was reading on the prodigal son, just for my own devotions, and he came to his dad and he said, give me the portion of the goods that are due to me, that falleth to me, I think was the actual translation in King James, that falleth to me, I want my inheritance. 
You only get your inheritance when your dad dies. But he goes to his dad while he's alive and says, give me my inheritance, the portion of goods that falleth to me. You know what he was really saying? I'd rather have a dead dad than a fool and a fool wallet. Than to have a living dad and an empty wallet. That just hit me this morning. That some people would rather have a dead father and have his money than they would to have their dad and no money. And I thought, how many people have missed this whole concept? Baptize me in the water, but, but not my wallet. See, this is, this is what Jesus is trying. I'm just going to be generous. Be generous. Be generous. Okay, number three, I'm going to have to move on here. Be cost-driven. Be cost-driven. She did not have to give it all. She had two coins. She could have given one coin, and she still would have given above the law and all the required payments that were to be made and a free will offering, and that would have been 50%. But she didn't do that. She gave it all. Because it wasn't mandated by law to her. It was motivated by her heart. This is what Jesus is driving at. He's driving at this with your outward appearance and how you act in front of people. But right now, he's driving right down to your heart with your money to unlock the heart of worship. But because of her love for God, it cost her everything. She was cost-driven, cost-driven by her heart for God. See, when you do that, when you step out like that, I mean, I don't know anybody who's done this. She trusted God and God alone for her survival. How many things do we want to trust? She said, all I've got is you, God. At that moment in time when she dropped that in and that little sound was made, she became completely dependent on God. For what? Her next meal. Her next meal. For everything. She's like, I'm just going to trust you for everything. That, that's the question here. How cost-driven are you? What does it really cost you to follow Jesus? That's the question. All right? That's, that's what this text is about. He's talking about what it means to be a true disciple versus all these hypocrites that have played the game. And he's saying this lady demonstrates a true disciple. Not just financially. No, that's just one piece. Practically, materially, emotionally, physically, all of it to be involved. But here's the truth. Anything you are invested in costs you something. I was talking to the guy out here last week when they had the car show out here last week. He's the one who owned the 1949 Porsche. And I was talking about the investment he had made in getting the 1949 Porsche that was literally first given to the Prince of Belgium, and he owns it. I thought, man, that must have cost him a lot. He said, if you sold that Porsche right now, what would you probably get for it? It's about 100000 So how much you put in it? Probably more than that. The truth is, anything you are invested in costs you something. There are costs for your marriage you have to invest in. There are costs for your parenting. There's costs for your friendships. Because anything you love, you invest in. And anything you invest in costs you something. That's, that's such an important thing to get a hold of. So when you became a follower of Christ, what did it and what does it cost you? What does it cost you? You've you got to answer that. You've got to answer that for yourself. I, I can't answer that. By the way, this is not a performance religion. 
I'm not saying you do this to somehow earn something with God. You don't earn a thing with it. It's a response of your love to God. It's not earning anything. You have been given your salvation completely grace-free. Christ did it all when he went to that cross and paid the price for your sin with shedding his blood. And so you don't earn anything. You just accept it by faith and say, I accept the price that you paid for my sin. I'm not talking about your salvation right now. I'm talking about when Christ offers his all, he's willingly asking in your heart for a free will offering that says, I want to I give something back to reflect what I think of my relationship with you. Because if we love someone, we invest in them, and it costs us. And when we do this, we understand two things, and that's what I want to say to you before I close. The first thing we understand is his lordship. That's why we want to be generous. That's why we want to be letting loose of some things that we hold on to so tightly that we don't want to dethrone. She felt she could give her all because she saw him as Lord. Lord over everything. Lord over her life, but Lord over her survival. You're just going to be Lord over everything. That's why it's so extreme. That's why the cost of discipleship calls us to that. It's an example for us. Number two, the second thing we understand is our citizenship is in heaven. My home is in heaven, but that's to come. That's my future. As I live here, my beliefs and values will come in conflict with this world. It's going to have to cost me something if I'm going to live in this world. It's going to cost me something, I promise you that. You'll recognize conflicts that cost you. I, I know this for a fact from some of you. Some of you have lost your job because your values and beliefs conflicted with your company and they let you go. I know that for a fact. Some of you quit your job because the values and beliefs that you, did, you had did not line up with your company. And you said, you literally said to me, I can't in good conscience work there. Now, I'm not telling you what to do here. You've got to think that through. But I'm just saying, I know people that have been in that situation. That's how they did it in the early church. In the early church, when they became a Christian and left being a Jew, the Jews turned on them and they lost their business because they wouldn't do business with the Christians. And so they paid a high price financially. Some lost their life. The 12 disciples, for example. People were used for human torches to light up the city. You see what I'm talking about here? I'm not just talking about your money. Jesus isn't just talking about your money. He's talking about what does it mean to be a follower? It's going to cost you something. You invest in something you love, and when you love it, it'll cost you. William Tyndale, he was strangled and burned at the stake in 1536. You know what his crime was? Printing the Bible for the first time in English. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was hanged in 1945 because he stood against Hitler and his concentration camps and the killing of innocent people. He was hanged. How about Rachel Scott and Cassie Bernal? You remember them? 1999, Columbine High School in Denver area. A high school massacre killed by Eric Harris. Broke into the room. There's Rachel Scott. The first question he asked her while he had a gun in his hand. Do you believe in God? Yes, I do. He killed her. Cassie Burnell, do you believe in God? They were in kindergarten together. Yes, I do. And he killed her. 
it costs things. It costs things. And still, here's what I want to say. If you don't feel some kind of cost for following Jesus, if you don't feel some kind of cost, you may not be invested in it. To live for him costs us something, but he dying for us cost him everything. That's what I keep going back to in my heart. He dying for us cost him everything. We can't make a sacrifice comparable to that. Well, we can do something. We can show some kind of love is going to cost us something. I love Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott, 1956, died at the hands of the Aka Indians in Ecuador. He went into an unreached people group. And before he died, he wrote in his diary, you probably know it, it's great. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And that next day, he lost his life and he gained everything. Why? Because of what Jesus did for him and he did for us. Let's pray. Just with their heads bowed and eyes closed in this moment of time, you may have been listening on the sound of my voice and I want to just say to you, there is a cost to serve Jesus. It doesn't earn your way into heaven. You first come by faith. And if you have never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, as honest as I can, you don't deserve success. You deserve hell. But Jesus made a way for you to escape hell. He died on a cross. He shed his blood and he said, if you'll put your faith and trust in me, I'll save you. I'll save you. If your prayer right now, you've never accepted Christ, you've never received your Lord and Savior, you'd say right now, Jesus, save me. I want to take just a moment in this room as best I can. If that's your prayer to say, Jesus, save me, would you, would you lift up your hand right now and say, that's what I need. That's the first step. I need to be saved. Would you lift up your hand? Okay, and unfortunately, I cannot see the whole room. But if you lifted up your hand and you said, Jesus, save me. That's the first step in a walk with Christ. He'll save you by his blood that was shed for you as a payment for your sin. That's what the blood of Jesus does. It takes away your sin like the garbage truck. But it brings the milk to sustain you forever and ever and the blood of Jesus will never lose its power if you've made that decision this morning to receive Christ I challenge you come let me know let me know let someone know that I received Jesus Christ as my Savior today you're here and you're already saved my passion for you today was to unlock the heart of worship in you Many of you know the thrill, the thrill of that. Dethrone that money. Get it off the throne room of your heart. Become a generous person. Be generous. Be generous. Father, I pray this morning for the people here today that your spirit would speak. 
as you spoke to me back in 2008 and said to me, you don't deserve this. I thank you for those times that you speak that I need to hear. And there's some, some here that you're speaking to. May they listen. I ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Praise team's going to lead us in a song. The altar's open. If God's laid something on your heart to bring today, you bring it. Let's sing together.